Hi. Good. Sorry. I just got out of rehearsal. So I was like, I have to go. I have to go. If you're tired of arguing with strangers on the internet, try talking with one of them in real life. Welcome to Back in America, the podcast. Being American to me is to make your dreams truly come true. I mean, I I dreamt of being a principal dancer and being gay and, and married to a man and having children. And that was my dream when I was little. But I was able to still somehow sustain that dream. And I think that that is what American is to me. I'm Stan Bertolo, and this is Back in America. Today, I'm speaking with John Lamb, the principal dancer at the Boston Ballet. John is joining me via Skype from his home in Quincy, Massachusetts. John, your parents immigrated to California from Vietnam. You grew up in an underprivileged household in the Canal District of San Francisco. You discovered your love for dance at the age of four. Your parents were definitely not expecting you to be gay, become a professional dancer, marry a man, and raise two sons. You constantly had to fight against the expectation of your culture, your peers, and your family. Yet, today, at age 35, you are the first Vietnamese-American male in history to become a principal dancer in a major ballet company. Welcome to Back in America, John. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on this podcast and to um, share my story and hopefully inspire and uh, help educate uh, younger aspiring dancers or non-dancers. I read in a story uh, mentioned in Dance Magazine that almost 60% of men in dance companies were gay. And in the same article, it was said that probably to protect their macho image, Americans in particular love to embrace the idea that the stereotype of male dancer automatically is to be gay. What's your experience? So this is very much a um, perceived notion, especially here in America, where um, if you're a professional dancer, you're automatically gay. And as a young child, I didn't understand this. I understood that this was um, something that many people just presumed that, oh, you're a dancer, you must be gay. So I didn't understand this. How can a 10-year-old understand what being gay is by going to four hours of rehearsals every day after school and physically trying to perfect their technique? How does that relate to being gay? So when you put it in, in those terms, is, is rat, it's crazy. And yet you are gay. Yes. But you are um, a father. You are a dancer. Yes. two boys. Yes. You are a dancer. You are Asian. Let, let me come back to that. How was it being 10-year-old uh, in, your, in your household from uh, Vietnamese who had immigrated to California. Tell me about your experience at that time. As a child, I remember just 
being a very happy child. I was very thankful that I had loving parents and I was very thankful that I found something that I love to do, which was dance. Um, so it was very interesting because my parents had no clue or had no education in dance. Um, so allowing me to dance was something very much like, oh, well, he's safe. He's being taken care of. He's not being bad and he's not getting to drugs. So why not? What's what's the harm in, in letting him dance? Um, but because I became good and I, I got all these scholarships and and as I aged, um, I was I was very lucky that I met people to to go the direction that I went. My parents was very they always say if they would have known what I am now as a dancer in my path, they would have never, ever let me or allowed me to dance if this was my path. Um, so when I look back, it's very odd to me because, uh, like I said, I had a very wonderful childhood. Um, my parents came from Vietnam, both refugees. So they put us in a childcare center. We grew up pretty much, quote unquote, the projects of San Rafael, which was in the canal district, um, where we were very undeserved and we didn't have um, we didn't have the means where you can go to after school and play soccer or football or swim lessons or piano lessons or what or dance lessons or whatever. So I was very my parents put me in a um, childcare center and that childcare center um, had this this organization performing size of Marin that came and offered scholarships to whomever wanted to dance. Were you the only boy at the time? At the time, I was the only boy. So when I arrived at this ballet class, I was the only boy. So I told Performing Stars I was going to quit. Um, and they said, why? Why do you want to quit? And I was like, well, it's all girls. There's no other boys. So they said, well, let's just wait for the weekend. And I remember they said that we were going to go see a performance at San Francisco Ballet. So we went to a field trip, went to go see a performance. All I remember was, beautiful music, beautiful costume, and men on stage. So there were two things happening. There were <laughs> one part of me was that I realized that there were other men and boys that were dancing on stage. And another thing was I began to figure out what my sexuality was. I already knew in a very, very young age that I was attracted to men, but I didn't know what that meant. But I knew that this pathway may be a precursor of what my sexuality would be. So I you stayed with dancing. Bullied? I became really good at it. I kept my studies. And then when I um, was around 14 years old, that's when I met Miko Nisinen. He was my first male teacher. And he um, really, I guess, took a fancy of my talent and really pushed me and said, you know, if you really want to do this professionally, you can, you have a chance. Because I'm in Marin Valley in a small little town very, very recreational. And um, at the same time that this was going on, of course, I was dealing with going to academic school and being teased and and dealing with other boys and girls who would look at me and say, what do you do after school? You go to dance class. That's so weird. You must be a girl. Well, that's very girly. So um, I speak of it very easily just because... Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe because I was, I, I had a thick skin. I don't remember allowing people to get in my head as a four or five-year-old if someone was going to call me a fag. When I met Miko, this kind of was kind of like a, like a revelation because I was like, wow, this, this can be something that I can actually do. And there's a man that believes in my talent and knows me because leading up to this, my parents had no idea 
what I was doing. My parents really didn't know, you know, they knew that I was doing recitals and shows and this and whatever, and I was rehearsing, but they had no idea or clue kind of like what it took or how many hours, you know, if I was rehearsing for two hours, what that meant. They didn't understand this. They just knew, oh, John's just dancing for two hours and he's going to come back home and he's going to eat with the family and and, and we go about our business. So when Miko left Mm -hmm. to go to Alberta Ballet as artistic director, I was 15. And that's when I met Cynthia Lucas, who succeeded him, told me that I had to go to National Ballet of Canada. I was offered a full ride at the National Ballet School in Toronto. And um, I asked my mother and father if I can go because they would cover um, dormitory, academics, and ballet, and airfare. <laughs> so it was like an incredible opportunity for me to go. My mom said no at first, and um, and it was very hard because I knew my experience in Canada was where I needed to be. So I had a conversation with my father. My father was like, the reason why we don't want you to go is because we don't want you to be gay like all those other boys that are dancers. So then I realized that I realized that they said this because when they came to America, they came in the eighties. That was the height of AIDS in the, in the gay community. So that was their education of what homosexuality is or was to them at the time. They knew that if you were gay, you were automatically going to die. And that was it. And that it was this disease that no one really knew. It was sex, drugs, and and dying. You said a lot of fascinating thing, and I just want to to back up. We went from four year olds when you started dancing to uh, fifteen when you were offered a full ride uh, to the National Ballet of Toronto, right? What I want to understand is how did you feel during those years as an American Vietnamese? What kind of national identity did you carry with you? Obviously, you were raised by Vietnamese, but you were born in this country, living with American. Did you feel American? Did you feel Vietnamese? I felt both because I'm Vietnamese American. I mean, I guess the sh- shorter answer is that my parents were very strict. And so I had a very, very strict Vietnamese traditional culture uh, that was that I was brought up. I knew that going into dance, it was only white girls and me. That was it. Dance does not have a race. So when I went entered into dancing, I never felt, oh, I'm the Asian and that's the white person. Or And I think it's also because of just how the makeup of my experience was. I was the only boy for since I was four till 15 when I left to go to Canada. I never met another Asian dancer, another Asian male dancer, or another black dancer or Hispanic dancer. It was it was a it was always primarily white. Not until I went to Canada when I was 15, it was when I was exposed to other boys of different nationalities. I still did not meet another Asian dancer. It was either Hispanic, European, white. I guess my identity at that time, I didn't um it, it didn't really matter to me as a young child. Um, I don't know. I didn't think of it. No, because my life was just dancing and, and, and survival of making sure that I danced. No. So I didn't come out officially to my parents until I was in Boston Whoa. for, yeah, for like five years in Boston. 
Um, and that's when I met my husband, my future husband. So I knew that I had to lie to my parents at that time in, in order to go. So I told my parents and promised them that, of course, I wasn't going to be gay and go to Canada. Um, they believed me <laughs> and they let me go. That's when I met my 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 mentor, who is my te- my dear, dear teacher, Sergio Stefanci, who basically made me who I am as an artist, as a dancer. Um, and, and again, um, identity of my ethnicity didn't really matter, but I didn't think of that with my three years there. Um, all I knew was that I was working very, I was working my butt off and that the teach, my teacher, Sergio and my artistic director, Mavis really, um, I would say took care of me. They believed in my talent. And they they kept on pushing, or they pushed this talent that I didn't know that I had. My dream company um, at that time was San Francisco Ballet. So I auditioned for San Francisco Ballet. And before he can offer me a job, I had already been offered a job at Boston Ballet through Miko Nisenem. And I had nothing, I knew nothing about Boston. I didn't really want to go to Boston. I wanted to go back to San Francisco. But the only thing like, that I kind of gave into it was that I knew that Miko believed in me. This man who I met when I was 14, met me when I was a young boy, kept more or less in touch with me when I was going to graduate and believed in me enough to invite me to come to his company um, when he took over this company in 2002. So I arrived in Boston <laughs> and went right into, I mean, I, I stayed in the company and I, I, I got promoted within the ring. So when I, entered into company life, that's when I started to realize that my race played a role in how I was casted and how other choreographers and other stagers would cast ballets only upon what I looked like. Um, so, for example, if a, if a uh, choreographer wanted a prince and he needed to be blonde hair and blue-eyed, well... <laughs> He's gonna own, it's only the blonde, blue-eyed boys that are in that amongst of that ranks will be called to that rehearsal. So I wouldn't even get the opportunity to to do that. Now, I have to say that with this huge discussion that's happening in the ballet world, I personally have not gone through much adversity or racism. Maybe I ran into maybe one situation where one would say, well, you know, he's short because he's Asian. <laughs> that was the comment. But then my director would say, well, just wait and see him dance first. And I did the rehearsal and then I got the role. When I came home that summer, I was like, you know, what? I'm going to come out to my mom and dad. And I was ready to do that. You know, I was ready to do that because I saw the, the pain and the the suffering and and the unanswered notions from the parents and i didn't want that i wanted to be able to like answer as many questions that my parents had um and if they disowned me then they disowned me but at least i gave them the opportunity to have the choice to be a part of my life um so so i told them so tell us where were you when you told them what you know what time of the day was it where where were your parents It was in the morning, and my parents were in bed already still. They were waking up, and I woke up, and I remember just, I was so nervous, I think. Um, 
and I said that I needed to talk to them. And they're like, oh, okay, what do you need to talk to us about? And I was like, well, I'm gay, and I am going to marry a man. <laughs> That's how I said it. And so my, my, my first thing my mom said was, we need to take you to a hospital to make sure that you're okay. And I was like, what do you mean you need to take me to the hospital? He's, she's like, we need to make sure that, like, you're okay, like, physically and mentally. And I was like, everything's there, and everything here is there. And then um, I, le- I kept looking at my father. My father was very quiet. He didn't say anything. Um, and he still hasn't said anything to this day. He hasn't said anything um, about that. Um, and then my mom just kept talking and saying, like, um, are you sick? And I was like, no, I'm not sick. I'm fine. I'm one, I'm fine. And then they're like, well, who's this? And I was more afraid that they were going to be upset that I was going to marry this man that was 20 years older than me. And they said, how did you feel? How did you feel when you told them that? I mean, were you short breath? I was very nervous. Oh, was your heart beating? I was was nervous. I remember my palms being very sweaty and I was very nervous in terms of like my I was more afraid of my father uh, reacting to to me because growing up, my father, we would go on drives and he would always explain to me um, that he hated gay people. And he would tell me that those, oh, look at that guy. Like we would drive in San Francisco and there'd be a gay person there. Or ob- it looks like someone that was, he was gay, he was very feminine and very androgynous and my father would just tell me as a child like see look at him he's gay like um, we don't like gay people like I hate those gay people that's what he would say to me so I would understand obviously as a child growing up that my father didn't like these type of people and I think that I was more afraid of the disapproval and the that I didn't make my parents proud I think that that's like the That was the main part of me being afraid of coming out because I didn't want my I didn't want my mom and my dad to not be proud of me because they came here making a life for us and to make I, in the Asian culture um, we're taught to not burden our parents you're not supposed to burden them with your issues like if I have issues you don't tell them to make them worry about you that's just something that we're taught as young children and as young adults. And so I knew that this was going to burden my family. Um, so my, my mom immediately asked me um, who this man was that I was going to marry. And I was like, well, it's a man that I love and he's a good man and he's a lawyer. Um, and my father asked me, that's when he spoke and he said, is he a good person? And I said, yes, he's a good person. I was like, and, you know, if you want to meet him, he can fly. And that was the first thing my father asked was if he's a good person. So I left the room and I let them, like, think about it a little bit more. And I remember my father left the house and my mom came in my room and I just stayed in my room. I didn't go anywhere. I just stayed in my room. And my mom came into my room and just said, You know, no matter what, we love you. You know that, right? And like, yes. And she's like, but it's very hard for your father because they're like, we don't care that you're gay. 
that like we care about what it, what the family name is for other people to look at us. So I knew immediately then that it wasn't because of me. It was how the culture, the Vietnamese culture, would view my p- parents on how they raised me as who I am now and coming out being openly gay. That I didn't really understand until much later on. I asked if they wanted me to have my hus- my future husband come um, to visit. And my mom said, not now, like, let us, you know, take time. So I went home that summer. But then in the winter time, that's when I said, you should, you should meet my future husband. Um, because we want you to be a part of this is when I was doing the wedding planning and all that stuff. And they had no idea what a gay wedding was. They had no, like, didn't know where to start because, you know, you go from a Vietnamese family, a Vietnamese traditional wedding. And you're like, well, what the hell do you start with? A Viet- where do you start with a, a gay wedding? So I took, I took charge of all of that. And I just told my parents, I was like, you don't worry about anything. All we care about is if you're there for the ceremony. So that's when I told my parents, I would bring my hu- my future husband home so that they could meet them, meet, meet my husband. So they came, they met, and I knew it was not going to be a problem because my parents are very much into real estate. My husband's a real estate lawyer. There was already a breaking ground there. I was very surprised because he wasn't cold at all. He was very welcoming to John and, and it was open arms. And What your um, parents felt. It was amazing. It felt me really great. Um, but I was still on the fence just because there is this underlining culture in Viet- in Vietnamese culture where we'll put a facade on but really deep down the truth of how we feel is is not public right I remember my mom asking me why do you do these crazy things you know it's like why do you go and like you fly to Canada and then you're traveling here and then now you're gonna be gay and you're gonna marry this 20 year old man and I was like I was like it's because of you guys and like what do you mean I was like because you guys are brave and that's what you taught me. And I was explaining to my parents, it was so brave for my father and my mother who were only in their early 20s to escape from Vietnam, going to a boat, not knowing where they were going, to escape to go for a better life. That takes so much courage and bravery to not know where the heck you're going, to bring your wife who you just been an arranged marriage and was pregnant with your second child and had my sister who was the oldest that was only six years old that's crazy and I was trying to tell that tell to my I was explaining to my mom and dad like that's bravery if you want to talk about courage and bravery that's bravery and then you got caught in the waters from the uh for the from the Philippines and was taken to a concentration camp and then my father escaped to come to America got to America, came back for my mom and brought my parents and my whole entire family come to America because of my father. But my father doesn't talk about this. He explains to me in silence when we go, you know, when my father, he has an automobile business, he would take me with him. And I hated to go. I hated to go to these places. because I was like, what the hell am I doing this? We would sit there and I would give him a wrench and he would be fixing and he would be, but... (laughs) In hindsight, these amazing moments because he would explain to me how the family came here. He would explain to me what he would do and how crazy scary it was for him. He was younger than me and bringing his family over here and not knowing no English, no money, nothing, no new, no new nobody. So I would explain to him that because of this bravery, I was brave to go to Canada and start this life and, and to just believe that 
that I would make a career in dance. Somehow I would believe in this. In this traditional Vietnamese culture, you're always taught to do very Vietnamese things. But I would always be the, the child that says, let's go out and have pizza at like a diner. And my mom would be like, no, we're not going to do it. That's what Americans do. We're not American. Because we're very, this was our, the Vietnam, we were Vietnamese and those were Americans. This is the, the concept that we had in our minds. But I would be kind of like that child that says, no, we should go to, I remember we would go to KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken. They had all-you-can-eat buffet on Friday night. And I remember telling my dad, we had to do this. It's like $6.99. I remember it was like $6. It was like $6.99, $7 to eat for, eat for the adults. And the kids ate free. And I knew this only because I would see these commercials and I would tell my, my brother, I was like, oh, we, we need to tell mom and dad to do this. And we would do it. And my father would always laugh because he said, oh, only because of John that we would experience this Americanized all-you-can-eat buffet style. <laughs> we, we, we would eat fried chicken. We would be exposed to mashed potatoes, which <laughs> my mom was like, what the hell is this? We don't eat mashed potatoes. <laughs> corn with butter like we don't eat butter like there's no butter and dairy was not in the uh, our uh, culture <laughs> to uh, i w i was the american in this family so i feel like maybe this is why my pathway was i was very lucky because i had both this very hyper traditional vietnamese culture yet i was very open to the american culture um, and I was able to kind of fusion it a little bit with my family. Um, I say a little bit because if you still met my family, they're very, very much traditional still. Till this day, my father and mother have not seen me dance professionally. So when I say this, people think automatically you don't have supportive parents, but you have to understand the background. Yeah. They don't know anything about dance. All they know about is the love of their son and, and who, who I am as a human being, because that engraves in their heart more than what I do for a living, if that makes any mm -hmm. sense. And so, Did you ask them to come and see you? Of course, many times, but they won't. Um, they, they won't just because this is something that is waste. It's waste money for them to fly here and see me dance. And um, But then to answer you, they do come visit because after we got married, <laughs> that's when I decided to create a family. When I started to, to talk about creating a family, and this was just like, so it was like being gay, getting married, and then my husband and I decided to have children. We um, went through um, the first the process of adoption, and at the time, Massachusetts was the only state that legalized gay marriage. So adoption was still very much hard um, for Massachusetts just because if we tried to go to another state and bring the, their child here to Boston, it was very, very difficult. So, um, and then there was a lot of families that would oppose to give up their child to a gay family. Giovanni had a surrogate um, that was based here in New Hampshire, so in New England. And then Santino, we had uh, another surrogate that was based here in Boston. And I'm still very much in contact with them um, just to see how they're growing. Um, and now with the age of Gio and Santino, they're starting to, they do understand that they have two, uh, a dad, they have Dada and Papa. I'm Dada and my husband's Papa. And they understand they have two dads. Um, and 
I guess as a father, I was more scared on um, how they were going to be treated as um, a child of a same-sex family because I never was brought up from a same-sex family, so I don't know what the issues are. But again, we live in a very different time now than when I was when I was five and six. So it, I was very surprised and very happy to see that there hasn't we've not and what have never dealt with anyone who has treated our sons differently because they have a dad and mom or two dads. Um, what is interesting is my our kids' response to when they ask where your mother is, and um, they say that they don't have a mother. They have two grandmas. Well, no, they have one grandma because John's mother passed away. So they only know my mother, who's the one grandma. And they have godmothers and godfathers and grandpas. And they have many, 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 many uncles. So, And those uncles are our friends. When my family found out that Giovanni was my son, he's the f- he is the first and only true lamb to carry the lamb name yeah. in my entire family. Everyone has had girls and there is no um me- there's no lambs on the men's side that are either ma- that are not married yet there's only two of my cousins that are lambs but they're not married um and the other ones they've only had girls so it's just so your dad must have been so proud right oh my dad when my brought my when we brought geo home they do the celebratory thing when they turn one month so you're not allowed to see the child until they're one month old Obviously, my mom and dad saw the child when he was born, but the rest of the family doesn't meet the, fa- the child till the one month. You couldn't take Gio out of my father's hand. He was with Gio the whole time, showcasing his grand, the first grandson of the lamb. And my father's the oldest out of all my my aunts and uncles. So it just gives more pressure to my father um, to produce. I know it sounds silly, but to our, our culture, it's very important to continue the, the name. So Gio is the first one. Very, very proud that he's the holds the first name. And then when we had our second son, Santino is my husband, and my and Santino is the only boy biological son that also carries the Ruggieri last name because wow. none <laughs> its side carries the last name. So it was just all these like little facets uh-huh. that are very beautiful that which is very- absolutely unexpected right yeah very unexpected i mean we could have had beautiful we could have had girls and i would have loved yeah. that too you know only thing the only thing we wanted was health and the second thing was ethnicity so we were very fortunate to have a um, egg donor that was vietnamese um french tell me now you're 35 and we touched on that briefly earlier on um what does the 35 ballet dancer do <laughs> what does the future look like for you well, I'm 35. I'm the most seasoned principal here in Boston Ballet. Um, <laughs> and I've been the longest standing dancer here for Miko. So it's very interesting. The company has changed many times and I've seen the changes. I really, um, you know, I'm in a really good place right now, um, physically, artistically, Um I'm really enjoying my career and I'm really enjoying, I would say, the fruit of my hard work that I've done since I was a young child to to training years, to being an apprentice, to doing quote-unquote crappy roles, to now being one of their most premier season principals here. Um, 
it's tough. Um, one of the questions I've been asked once before was, "What's the hardest thing being one of the one of the most seasoned principles is sustainability." Um, I think that when you reach to a high point, to to sustain that is very hard because um, you need more. You need you pe- people think that when you get up there, you don't need any help. But I feel like once you get to the height, you need more help because you need to be able to sustain that greatness. And I think that's the hardest um, d- dilemma that I deal with here um, because we are in an American company. American companies don't promote uh, coaches that stay with you. If you go to Europe, there's coaches that stay with principals that help them. It, it, it's just much harder to sustain mm-hmm. a, car- a, a long career here. Um, some- are you thinking of retirement? Not now. I know that it's in the near future. Um, I am hoping that my body will be good to me, that I can sustain for a couple more years. Ideally, I'm 35. I'll be 36 this year. It would be great to go till I'm 40. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that's like uh, a hope that I can sustain. Um, but, you know, that's also – it goes vice versa. That's my body and also my director. If My b- director might be like, you know, it's it's really time to stop. Or And then there's also the choice of do you want to be recognized and known for your longevity and, and start to deteriorate as an artist. And, mm. and I don't want that as well. So right now I'm doing very good. Things are really good. I'm dancing and I'm healthy. Um, but I feel as though once once I start to feel – that I can't do the things I want to do on a high level, then it's time. And and what what would be the next step? Oh gosh! So I've been also very lucky that I've been so intrigued by so many different things and aspects of my life. Um, my husband and I own a mill um, in New Bedford, which is about forty five minutes from Boston. It's a massive mill. It's about 500,000 square feet. Um, We house different artisans um, in this space. Um, My dream is to to build a school there maybe one day, um, to build a school that Mm -hmm. I was brought up um, where it offers dance and um, academics and dormitory at the same time. New Bedford is going through, you know, it's in a hard area. So it's not like it's not like a well-educated area, and I and I think that help exposing to communities that don't have the opportunity, giving back to the community as because that's the community that I was founded in, um, could create incredible stories or incredible careers for other people. I mean, that's what that's one aspect. There's that. There's another aspect of going to be a ballet master which is um, someone that is housed under our company and they basically help set ballets and teach company class and stays within the company. I can be a ballet teacher and stay here, um, open another school or be open a company um, or drop everything from dance and like go and finish my BA. I do have a, I don't have a full bachelor's yet. I'm in my senior, I'm in my junior year in my bachelor's, but I've, taking a year off because it's just been so rough what's what's the focus of your leadership so um um, wow you 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 seem to have a lot of (laughs) options yeah you know i I, i'm not um you know as my husband would say it's better to have many options than to have no options at all because we are in a podcast called back in america 
Yes. My question to you as an American from Vietnamese origin is, what is it to be an American? What does it mean to be an American? Being American to me is to make your dreams truly come true. I mean, I, I dreamt of being a principal dancer and being gay and, and married to a man and having children. And that was my dream when I was little. I would always remember looking at commercials and looking at a man I'm like with a woman and I'm like, oh, they look so happy, but why can't that be me, you know, as a child? Or seeing other male dancers dancing so well and I'm like, oh, I wish one day I could be one of those those male dancers that I look up to. And I think that to me is being American, is that I was brought, I, I came from nothing. Uh, I came from a family that had nothing, that had no education in anything of my profession or in my world of being gay, nothing. But I was able to still somehow sustain that dream. And I think that that is what American is to me. Thank you. <laughs> cool. Thank All you right. so Thanks. much, John. Thank yes. you so much for sharing your story with me. That was fascinating. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Ciao. -bye. Bye.